Hi everybody and you're so very welcome to this week's edition of Social Talents The Shortlist. My name is Holly Fawcett, I'm the Director of Content here at Social Talent and today we're going to be discussing gender beyond the binary in the workplace which is a really interesting uh, title I suppose certainly for those of us who would think of, of gender as a reasonably binary option um, between he, she, etc. But um, now we know there was obviously lots of exploration outside of that and it's a topic that not many of us are terribly familiar with, but I know a lot of us have questions about it um, because discussions about gender are very everywhere in society. As we continue to make a lot of progress about things, we're building out our understanding about, about how people experience life. It's essential to really keep those conversations going, particularly in our workplaces. Gender identity and gender expression form a vital component in how people show up in their lives and of course at work and it's important for companies for leaders for organizers for colleagues to be informed if we want to have and create inclusive work environments but it can be a tricky topic to navigate so to help us with this we are delighted to welcome lisa lux to this week's episode of the shortlist lisa is a poet and an activist whose work has been broadcast on channel 4 on bbc radio and with tedx we're going to be chatting about different forms of gender identity in the context of the workplace we're going to be examining gendered language clothing and policies in workplaces as well looking forward looking at expressions of allyship so lisa you are so very very welcome to the show Thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here and to be in a space where uh, there is curiosity around this as well. Lots of curiosity, of which I am one of those curiosity people. Um, so Lisa, your pronouns, as you can see on your screen, are she, he. Can you explain what those pronouns mean and how you experience your own pronouns? Absolutely. So uh, it took me a long time to kind of come out as uh, she, he, though I was experiencing it and expressing it in my more intimate circles and my queer kinship, as we call it. Um, but the way in which I experience that is I like to play within the binary. Um, I like to watch cowboy films as a kid. And, and I think that's the moment when I first realized that gender was a thing, being like seven years old and watching these cowboy movies and all of a sudden gender became uh, a concept to me that I obviously wouldn't have been able to word then, um, but I realized that I would never be like, the men on the screen. And so thus came this split in me where I was always part cowboy and um, part not. Um, and it, it's taken me till, till later in, in life and a lot of journeying with that to be able to start to reconcile that divide and be able to be public about using he and she and the fact that I move between them. And at certain times I feel much more in my masculine and at other times I like to play within the feminine. Now, you know, there's much to be said about how I am reinforcing a binary here um, and I'm doing so as a playground and in a very experiential uh, way. But you would refer to this identity that I'm uh, expressing to you as gender fluid. So it's about that mm -hmm. fluidity and moving between uh, pronouns. Um, I, I often say my gender, it really depends which way the wind blows. You know, some days I wake up and it's like, oh, big man today. <laughs> you know, and it's all just very playful. It's very playful. I think everybody wakes up in the morning and on the way the wind blows experiences how they want to express themselves 
that day. Sometimes we wake up and we feel, you know what, today is a day we're going to go all out and dress up. I'm really going to make like an effort today to look done, shall we say, whether you identify as gender fluid, male or female or masculine or feminine, whatever those words mean to you in, in that, you know, sometimes we do have those occasions or the way the wind blows, sometimes they're like, oh, I'm just going to be a pajama day today, you know? Yeah. Um, is that what you mean? That sometimes it can yeah. just feel a little bit more like this is how I want to express myself today. Definitely. I would say that it's that it can be more innate than that because it can be a sensation that I feel in my body. Um, and I talk about this notion of a, of a phantom body, which is this sensation that there is a what would be what would be uh, you know considered a, a a masculine body about the way uh, that I move through that day and the way that I feel my body and 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 the sensation that I have and I find myself holding myself different on those days and 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 it's it can be a very physical experience um, mm-hmm. but at the same time I really like that you use this example because it brings us closer to understanding that we all have this nuance in the way that we navigate the world. And sometimes, like you say, sometimes you want to dress up. Now, I'm very aware as that we also, even subconsciously, consider this in terms of our safety in the spaces that we go. Like mm-hmm. I have some, some friends who identify as cisgendered, um, uh, female friends, and we can, we can, break down these words uh, after but let's just say they they don't identify as queer um who will talk about going out uh, late at night if they need to go to the shop or or uh, run an errand later in the evening that they will wear more masculine clothes and square their shoulders and so we are all in some way navigating society through pushing and playing with gender and that's always mm-hmm. been a part of, of society. We've always played with that. We've always known that gender is this paradigm, this 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 ritual um, in which we set up as a as a social organism, and that it's ever changing. And that there have always been individuals who play into it, um, who play against it. I mean, we saw you know we saw it right, right back in Shakespeare. You know, we've we've got long histories of of people navigating um the yeah the so the the, the social uh, constructs uh through through queering basically so you're using the word queer a lot which is wonderful because it, it does have a, i do have a question about um about queerness and queer uh queerful and, and everything else but this word used to be used to be a bad word it used mm. to be a word that was highly derogatory mm. and it's almost been I don't know why right in saying it's almost been recaptured by people in the LGBTQ community who say, no, no, this is actually, this does very much represent who it is that I am. Mm-hmm. So can you maybe define what you mean by queer today versus maybe queer 40 or 50 years ago when it yeah, was very I much can. considered a bad thing? I can. And I'm going to, and I'm going to respond to this um, kind of drawing on a lot of queer theory uh, as well. Now I want to acknowledge the fact that, Older members of the LGBTQIA community um, will certainly have their own feelings about this word and that that's completely valid. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the way in which I personally write about um, and theorize and experience queerness is not as a noun. So that is to say, I don't use queer as my identity. 
if you've picked up on on what I've been saying, I've been talking about navigating. Now, to me, queer is a verb. Mm -hmm. So queer is the way that I orient myself in society. So that is to say, there is furniture set up in society, and it is set up. You know, the, the, let, let, let's say let's say our, our social world is a room, and somebody has dressed that room, and somebody has put the furniture down and around in that room. And if you flick off the light, if you're very familiar with that furniture in that room, if that furniture was put in place for you, and that and you have had a long-standing relationship with the way that room is set up, therefore you are probably um, cisgendered. Um, white and have forms of privilege which that setup uh, has afforded you right mm -hmm. so you can flick off that light and you can walk through that room probably without tripping up or falling over something we know this when we've lived in one house for a long time that mm -hmm. we we become very familiar with the with with how things are arranged some of us that furniture wasn't really set up for us so we have to reorient ourselves and we have to find new ways to navigate our way around that furniture. And we do this with language, we do this with expression and various other ways. So for me, queerness is part of my politics. It's the way that I move through uh, the social fabric. I move through um, this, this, this communal space that we have rather than it being a noun. Why is that really important to me? Because queerness is... I like to say it, the indefinable. Mm. So it ought not have a definition. Um, why? Because once something has a definition, it can generally be co-opted. Mm. And if it's co-opted, then it becomes finite. And what queerness is about for me and, and my community is about the infinite. It's about the endless possibilities. And you can't have endlessness. You can't experience endlessness when you have a definition and therefore a box around something. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea of disidentification as well, which is why I like the slipperiness of she, he, you know, mm -hmm. kind of consistently evading what you thought you'd just caught me in. I like that. I really like that because it feels very infinite. Yeah, and unexpected and unpredictable and therefore imaginative. Yeah, right. Imaginative, it certainly allows a lot of space for imagination, as you say. It, it can yeah. be, yeah, interesting and and a space where people can can draw new conclusions and create new things. And yeah, I really like that space. That sounds that sounds interesting to have. It does, and we all want that, do we not? You know, especially you know, you work on a project, um, you work on, a, a, you build your own uh, organization, um, you have hopes you have aims, would you not want for the notion of infiniteness to be like central to that and imagination? Like, of course we would, we all want that. Like it's very much core to our to our life drive. We're so afraid of, of, end, of the ending. We're so afraid of the finite actually, you know? Um, yeah. Infinite is really part of like what we, what we long for in life. So in queerness and the way that we're integrating that into, um, in, in, into our social life and into our professional lives, is is really about embracing values that we that we that we all long for even if we're not recognizing them in this particular movement even if people are not quite recognizing it in this that's one thing that i want people to understand is really central to it even even you know get past all the obstacles of getting things right and wrong central to this is the feeling of openness and and, and infiniteness mm -hmm. you know so 
I, I mean, I like that you're putting that into a work context because that is important, right? Why is this important for us to be or to recognize and understand what um, gender in the binary form as well as gender in a very non-binary, open, endless form could mean for the workplace and for how we navigate work? Um, because, you know, sometimes those things are are in conflict with one another also sometimes people think that they're inappropriate to discuss at work mm. um you know i personally don't agree i think it is appropriate to discuss things at work because they relate to how we are human and therefore mm. it's a very human endeavor um but can you maybe talk a little bit about how and why organizations really could look at understanding gender a little bit more maybe some examples of where organizations are very rigid in their thinking and how that's perhaps mm. not the way they need to go forward yeah absolutely and one thing I'll, I'll say to speak to the notion of, of uh, these conversations being inappropriate in the workplace is I think people tether in their mind um, gender with sex and, and and I don't just mean with 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 um, you know the sexed body as in with male or female, but they te they tether it to the act of sex for some reason, and that is problematic in the mind, uh, um, in the fact that they're thinking like that in the first place. Because you are are being identified as man or woman, if you're consistently being um, deemed within your kind of you know, um, the way in which you enact it in your intimate in your intimate moments in your intimate time, that's that shouldn't be in the workplace in the first place. You know, that yeah. shouldn't be how you're thinking about a cisgendered person in the first place. So why would you do it to me? You know, it's my gender is not to do with that. That's not, that's, they're not the same thing. You know, um, that there's, there's people who consider themselves queer, uh, who still maintain relationships that are inherently look heterosexual. You know, it, that's, it's not what we're talking about. And, you know, we, gender is already a massive part of the workplace just because people aren't talking about it uh, doesn't mean that it's not right at the heart of meeting rooms or right at the heart of, of policy um mm. so two examples one being dress code you know mm. i mean not every uh, cisgendered and and so by cis i mean somebody who uh, goes by the gender that they were assigned at birth so this is what cisgendered means so not every cisgendered person feels comfortable in the gendered office workwear you know yeah. and that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with gender it could do with it could do with physical discomfort it could do with uh you know your own idea of expressing yourself let's consider how much gender is a trend how long ago was it when it was considered very masculine for women to wear trousers not that long now that mm -hmm. so many women wear trousers does that mean that all women have become lesbians <laughs> does that mean all women are now identified as men no it means that the gender trend changed so mm -hmm. gender trend is consistently gender is trend and it's consistently shifting it's, it, it, yeah. it's not fixed it's social it's socially uh, uh, constructed and we are consistently returning to it and playing with it as communally it just it just usually happens very subtly and all of a sudden we're all wearing trousers uh, it usually happens through advertising it usually depends on what's what's profitable so what we're talking about is taking it back in, into our own hands and making them decisions for ourselves so there's dress codes which need addressing so to speak and degendering and there's the another example that i want to bring in or let's say two more one is the gendered language that's in policy um which which doesn't include uh you know the the, the broad spectrum 
of uh, of how we consider how we consider ourselves, and it also sets up quite a strong power dynamic between men and women in in the first place. But the final one, and I want to put this in a situational one, is how often do we hear about women feeling that they've been spoken over in a meeting room? You know, uh, I mean, this is this is stand. This is one thing that we consistently hear about gender in the workplace. That we was crazy. Said nothing about that. <laughs> you know, that's. Oh no! Have we lost Lisa? That is something that is coming from. So, um, am I back? Yeah. That they oh, are sorry, we're back. We missed your last uh, sentence, sir, Lisa. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that this is something that is coming from 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 cis cis people, cisgendered folk, who are experiencing this this power dynamic. That's gender. That is problematically gender. That's the same conversation that we're having. What we're saying is, all right, imagine that we just just take all that gender out of that room. And the ideas that each person is putting forward for that project or that meeting have a higher value than their, whatever organs they have underneath their clothes. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that is particularly radical, you know, and I think that we would all argue that that would make for, for better workplaces. There are some men who may not argue that, <laughs> but I think the rest of us could, could strongly outnumber them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, definitely. But also I think, you know, this is why it's so important for us to... Um, you know, when, when we think about gender as, as um, something everybody, we all have an identity of some kind, I suppose, or or whether that identity is in the non-binary and the exploratory, the infiniteness, or that we decide to go for a binary identity and that's and that, that's how I identify, like me personally, I identify as a woman and, and I was born a woman and, and that's that's just, it's it's innate to me and in the same way that it's innate to you to be, um, to be queer in, in, in she, he. But the, um, the, the gender door certainly opens up that understanding that those ide those ideas that one has in a meeting or about a project or about a product, for example, the um, the innovation that comes with exploring ideas for people who have different experiences of life is where innovation comes from. If we think about yeah. Like just something as simple as the laptop that you're currently or the mobile phone that you're currently using or, or watching this podcast or listening to this podcast from the extraordinary majority of the innovations for that particular product that you're currently using to, to hear our conversation have come through, for example, assistive technology, which is you know, for largely for people who have um, some form of disability, like text messages, for example, was designed for, for people who are deaf or hard of hearing and therefore can't take a phone call but can communicate using text messages. Um, all of the assistive technology that we have on our phones, like being able to enlarge the text on our screens, same reason for people who are visually impaired, um, having things read out to us, for example, otherwise it could be, you know, um, speech to text is another example of people who, who don't have the physical capability to, to type things. All of those kinds of innovations come from where we find the, the differences between the lived experience of the different people who we try to serve. And we realize that those technologies, those innovations actually have much broader appeal. And so, yes, when we take away the lens of where the idea came from it is still really important to have ideas that come from all of those different places at the same time because that's where innovation really comes from yeah um but you're right those ideas are what really stand forward but it's it's about looking into what is unique about me that intersection of all the different things that, mm -hmm. that i have that you have um that we live in 
that could therefore open up a different portal to this tiny little nuance of an idea that actually if I, if we were to go travel down this way, this would be unique and different and therefore yeah. interesting and new. And I, I really like to just to interject on that. I really like that you've brought in, um, you know, d disability uh, um, access and mm -hmm. these things are often on unmentioned like you said and there's some really good content on on social talent that centers these conversations but let's just think about for a moment about all of the furor that happens around gender neutral toilets we already have gender neutral yeah. toilets they're called disabled toilets yeah <laughs> you know we, we we we've had them there's always been a third option um mm -hmm. and we're just now naming it something slightly different and it's the linguistics that are getting people up in arms but it's been there so it's always been there we've had it you know, and again, it's that thing that's at the that's at the at the forefront. I also want to pick up on something else you said to slightly contend it, which is you said that you were born a woman and you still identify as a woman. Now, what Simone de Beauvoir, the French feminist, would say uh, said is uh, one is not born a woman but becomes one. So what she means by that is that we learn how to be the gender that is that is put on us so a good example of this is the presence of intersex people now a lot of people don't bring them uh, often into our conversations if you're an intersex person you're born with uh, both um uh, male reproductive parts or female reproductive parts there's there's a mix of bodies that are present in yeah. the intersex person now still a, a, a doctor, um, uh, the hospital at birth will decide which gender you're going to be and they will assign it to you because we're currently, and I, and I can't stress that enough, currently living in the two-sex model. Now, that only came about in the 1800s. Before that, we had the one-sex model where men and women weren't considered to be different sexes. They, it were, they, there was just, um, uh, it, was a, it was an inversion of body parts, as they called it. They weren't quite, it, what, there was no such thing as a two-sex model until after the 1800s. That's quite recent, actually. And so mm. where there's no reason for us to believe that that's not going to shift again in the next 100 years or so. Um, but I think the point of the, you know, bringing up the, this notion of the intersex person and how agenda is put upon them, whether or not, it is scientifically, let's say, um, mm -hmm. accurate. Um, I really blast this notion of gender and science being one and the same. And this idea that it is very much a learned behavior and it starts with language and then it goes with, with you know, um, film. I talked to you about uh, watching films as a kid. You know, we learn a lot from films. We learn a lot from um, advertising. We learn a lot from our parents or family members where we grew up. Uh, I saw a snippet of Travis Alabanza's um, new book this morning um, where they say that uh, they don't feel that they were born inherently trans. They believe that the world made them trans because of the options that were given in the world and the world made them choose that that was the only way in which they could live mm. you know, by, 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 name, by using that word, by naming themselves through these means in order to be able to live the life that was authentic to them and real to them. It wasn't something yeah. that they were born with. It's something that they became through the obstacle course of life. Yeah, or where the, the furniture is positioned in the room, so to speak. Yes, 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 exactly that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds really interesting. And I think you're right. It is very much how we, um, that societal, not imposition, but certainly that influence is very, very important. And 
to bring it back to 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 a workplace kind of topic like the workplace in itself is a, is another society um for the vast majority of of um industrialized time shall we say nice way of putting um, it yeah yeah um just thought of that there but for the vast majority of that industrialized um time and industrialized work um women were not often seen in the workplace and if they were it was in a it was a very specific role that they often had mm. um and so i suppose the the societal um behavior and norms that came from that are probably still being felt today i think we can all agree that workplaces tend to be a little bit on the more masculine side you have to be mm. professional and have this particular standing for example mm. Um, and also, just to interject there, that you yeah. know, um, there's no such thing still as uh, time off for menstruation, or rarely. It's, it's starting to come in, in in some countries, I think. But you know, the the work, uh, um, the way in which you're expected to work uh, in that very consistent manner is very akin to the way that the male body bi biologically works. So the way that our workplace, our deadlines, our hours are set up, don't really fit with uh, uh, somebody who menstruates. You know, because we because we have these ebbs and flows. We some of us get incredibly fatigued. Some of us get really, really ill, um, and yet there isn't space for that. So you're right. It's it's like one hundred percent right in that in that respect. Yeah. And look, if we're going to talk about um, making workplaces more more open in order to to take um, take account for people who have these different experiences and different um ways of expressing themselves and make it a little bit more um inclusive a bit more inclusive i think we can we can make baby steps across the way yeah. um are there are there maybe one of them like for example you're just suggesting there in terms of having time off from menstruation or you know more more flexible um flexible time around the, around um around that period of, of life, I suppose, yeah, um, yeah. Put a soft point on it. Um, but like, what what kinds of things would you love to see inside um, workplaces from a policy perspective, or could just be at an individualized workplace level that could make the work more open for all different forms of gender identity? Yeah, okay, let me talk about policy and then I'll talk about culture, about like workplace culture. So first of all, in terms, in terms of policy, um, you know, we need to see non-binary, uh, or uh, gender, gender queer, gender non-conforming protections in, in discrimination and, and anti-harassment policies. Um, there needs to be a zero, you know, zero tolerance culture on on um, on discrimination of any form. And we'll talk later about what that might look like. I'll talk about it after I go through policy. Um, employees and including senior uh, members of staff uh, need anti-harassment training and a lot of that comes from education because so much harassment um comes from confusion which is something that we're that we're, we're kind of addressing here and you and i spoke about very briefly before we went on air this idea of allowing for confusion in order to educate through it because so much pain is caused through confusion um yeah. dress codes i've mentioned that uh, you know they, they really need to perpetuate 
uh, a freedom of expression. I'm not saying that you know you, you have to welcome um, uh, people in in uh, to 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 dress in radical uh, in radical ways that might uh, push against the image of a, of a of a company. Not my business to say that about your company. What it is my business to say is that gender dress codes just don't really suit anyone. They're not comfortable. Mm -hmm. They 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 they're they're not working. Um, after uh, you know, people. So there's all. There, I mean, there's also so you know pre onboarding. If you think about before, before the the hiring uh, or during the hiring stage, um, there is the blind CV, right? So that people send in their CV without their uh, any indicators of their ethnicity um, or their gender, their orientation or any such things as that. But what often happens is then once you bring them in you still haven't created a culture on the other side of that that protects these people. So how do we protect gender non-conforming people? Um, okay, one way, give people the opportunity to, give employees the opportunity to self-identify on human resources platforms and, and these internal systems. Um, so simple. Yeah, you're right. So, so simple. So simple. Mm -hmm. Remove gen gender-specific language from, from policies very 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 simple um inc including that 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 uh, list of pronouns on on internal systems and on hr platforms also uh, needs to include the opportunity to not say and choose not to say i don't always want to say i don't always want to have to come out again to a computer I don't always have to be coming out. So there has to be, be the opportunity to evade these things as well, um, which is is incredibly nuanced because a lot a lot a lot of a lot of organisations now are encouraging us to have our pronouns on our emails or our Twitter bios. Now I'm someone who belongs to the queer community who didn't do that for the longest amount of time because. I couldn't, I couldn't explain my gender in two syllables. It felt <laughs> something so much bigger to me that mm -hmm. I felt I was dumbing it down for the comfort of others. You know, when you go around a room, so this is now let's go into culture. Um, when people meet for the first time in a meeting room or in workshops uh, that are held in the, in, in the workplace, um, training, and it, we go around the room and we say our name and we say our pronoun and that's wonderful that's a wonderful step forward that's great but there also needs to be space for people to choose not to say because coming out is a western concept mm. okay and a lot of us don't just come well, well nobody comes out once in their lifetime you're asked to come out again and again and again and again and again. And it can be quite exhausting and it can put you back in a box that, remember, I'm trying to evade for when I'm saying that there is a verb. Now, allowing for that space for people to feel a conversation is recognised, but also ensuring that it's not being done in a tokenistic way, like, oh, better ask you your pronouns because that's what we do now. But actually mm -hmm. understanding that there is a lot of nuance in that and some people won't want to share. They might want to share with a couple of their closest workmates. They might not want to share with everybody. And we can't start outing people at that same time because of the repercussions that could cause them professionally, at home, uh, in their social lives, in their family lives, and what have you. Um, so holding all of this nuance would have to be part of that training. 
Does that make sense? Because I tried to say a lot in a very <laughs> bullet pointy no, kind of way there. Yep, but it's it's it's. I mean, to be fair, it is a, a weighty thing to try and divide into neat bullet points. <laughs> but it's a it's also recognizing, I suppose, the the um, the expression again from from the disability community is nothing for us without us, and I think the trainings and and um, and workshops and things like that that have been delivered to date within organizations around how we use gendered pronouns um, and inclusion of uh, people of different gender expressions, um, as well as removing gender discrimination have largely been developed without that perspective of the bigness of gender identity as being such a massive thing, because what they've done to my understanding certainly and, and please I would love people's examples of where gender training has been very much into that bigness of, of how of how nuanced it is um but they've made it really reasonably jigsaw like you know it's it's sort of paint by numbers it's say this make sure you you include this allow space for people to say their gender pronouns for example and just accept them don't ask questions etc um I think devalues the conversation and um and probably is also a little bit misinformed about really the bigness of what gender expression gender identity really is in the workplace um and, and i think that's probably because that training was developed without without people who who have who, who lean into the non-binary side of their of their expression and their lives what do you think yeah. i i think i you you're right and i Think it comes back to this notion of confusion and fear and mm. a lot of these notions of allyship have come out of fear rather than out of solidarity yeah. um, and solidarity is not is not an easy thing it's a but it's a mandatory thing for us to be able to grow as a community of human beings uh, um, building society together and hoping for this living organism that is us to continue developing in in in, in hopeful ways we need we need solidarity um and allyship the word often frightens me if somebody says that they're an ally i think oh <laughs> all right so you've learned some of the tips and tricks but you're probably going to say things that are going to really hurt me when i least expect it you know oh, no. um yeah. Performance of um, allyship, I think we call it. Performative allyship, yeah. And I understand that it is a step on our journey. I understand that we're not going to get there miraculously and step through a portal. I, I do. And I can be very, I can very, be very uh, forgiving. And but sometimes my forgiving um, nature just comes from being too tired to, to keep arguing um, and to keep trying to defend. Um, yeah, I, I'm not even going to say just like my right to exist the way I want to, but also my intellect, you know, I'm not mm. kind of pulling this out of out of nowhere. You know, I, I, I finally found the language to talk about my experience of being alive uh, and my experience of, of navigating the world, because I also uh, research academically and I've learned so much and there is so much intelligence behind this movement. There is so much futureness mm. behind this uh, movement, and there is so much vision. There is such a visionary nature behind this movement. I'm not referring to myself specifically as a visionary here. I'm saying that, you know, uh, um, 
historically, not even historically, let me correct myself, in communities that are still most intact with their traditional uh, ways of ways of living, um, a lot of indigenous communities, and also historically within our own within our own society, the people who expressed their gender beyond the binary were often the ones who were the visionaries in that in that in that culture. So yeah. um, in the in Hawaii, still the folk who are gender beyond who are, who are, who identify with their genders being beyond the binary are the oral storytellers. So they're the keepers of the old tales of the culture, and they're the ones who yeah. pass them on to the next generation. Right. So yeah. it is. A, it has. It has historically and globally been been considered the most visionary position, and I think we have to remember it as a fragment of a future uh, mm -hmm. coming towards us, and we and we move towards it, and we meet it. I completely, completely, completely agree. There's so many examples that I can think of straight off the top of my head of people who broke the broke the boundary of whatever their um, their gender role defined them to be. And I mean, that's personally where I probably come from this more often with regards to gender identity, gender expression is again being a, a cis woman is is. Um, is the fact that I, you know, the, the people that I've looked up to, the people that I was raised by, um, didn't fit the the gender role specifically of, of what was um, what was expected of them either. Growing up in a culture where the culture was highly binary, it's actually written into our constitution. Um, the only place that women have a place in our constitution tended to be in a, in a very, very specific role, which is that women's places in the home. And that's actually written in our constitution, which we're Hopefully we'll get an, uh, an opportunity to remove that amendment at some stage. Um, I think it'll overwhelmingly be repealed, but um, as that certainly is not the place for for a whole half of our of our society, um, it is a place for everybody in our society to have a home, certainly, and to to be present in their communities. But as you say, there are always those individuals who break those boundaries, and I'm just thinking even in places like like fashion, as you're saying, about how we how we visually express ourselves. In the 1960s, Catherine Hepburn really came out with this very, the style at the time was known as mannish. Yeah, yeah. Um, wearing trousers, but wearing men's trousers that were miles too big for her. The big, um, you know, the, the very, very wide leg trousers that went over her heels and big, big blouses as well that were really men's shirts tucked into those things. A very beautiful, sexy style that was Catherine Hepburn, stunning. But you know, it, it was the visionary of somebody as visionary as Catherine Hepburn to be able to make that a place, to make that a thing. And we will always have those moments in our lives. I think today, who I can think of, again, breaking the boundaries on the men's side. Actually, I can think of several examples, but unfortunately, I don't have the names of each of them. But I know one, which is Jonathan Van Ness, who to me, I think will be one very, very clear example of that. But I, there are several who I can actually visualize in my head. But as I say, I do not know their names, which is shameful. I should know them. But who frequently you know, show up on red carpets in these magnificent ball gowns mm. and um, and really is very unexpected and creative. And I think that's a case where if we want um, our, our workplaces to be a source of innovation, we want them also to be a source of, of 
representation in our organizations as well to, to have that have people in our organizations who who feel that they can't express themselves like that would be that would be incredible um yeah. but yeah it's always going to be different for everybody to look at that isn't it it is but i mean on that on that note as well i mean you know the the generation that are entering the workforce now are so clued up on this yeah. Uh, and and this and this is so much part of their movement. They're teaching us all so much. And so if you're not making space for that, then you are, you know, you're going to be left behind, really. Mm. Yeah. We thought millennials would be difficult. No, no, no. <laughs> Have you met Gen X? <laughs> we just keep getting harder. <laughs> Absolutely. Gen Z are going to teach us so much. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um I have two questions for you, um, one of which actually isn't asked by me, it's asked by Victor on our LinkedIn live stream, which is, um, hi Holly and Lisa, any tips on how to create an, a support group that caters beyond the binary at, or at the workplace? How do we solve for it? Yes, okay, so to create uh, um, to create support groups um, that cater, so when, when, we, when you say support groups, um, I wonder two things, one is, are these support groups specifically for people experiencing um, as part of the queer experience who consider themselves part of uh, the gender beyond the binary um, life uh, and discussions? Or is it also opening up to people who are outside that? And I am going to answer for you because you're not directly in front of me and consider what if it's for both. Uh, so I really like the idea of and me and, and, and Holly again I think this has been a really nice conversation it's like this is idea of bridging and bringing in um, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that I can always be around people who don't inherently understand what I'm talking about so I think queer kinship is one of the most important things in my life that has been able to uh, develop me as a, as a person and creating that kinship in workplaces is I can only imagine incredibly powerful to overcome that isolation and what I would suggest is you could go through uh, the means of, of HR or through higher uh, uh, you know ranking so to speak in order to bring that about but something in me wants to say create it by yourself like create like go out there and find the others, uh, so to speak, because this little pocket of people will then be able to decide how they grow together and from that. And if it's more official, it could put off people who, as I was saying before, can't be as openly out as others. So I think keeping it quite guerrilla or keeping it quite mm. um, informal allows for people who are either on the edges to feel that they can enter that space or people who uh, it wouldn't be safe for them to, uh, you know, be registered on any kind of uh, uh, system as attending this thing um, to be to be able to be part of that conversation as well, which is obviously super valuable. Now, I wonder if that also opens up that group at other times for people who want to come in and, and learn and maybe, you know, the what would be really important is telling them that their space is to listen and their space isn't to talk and take up space to take up any room um but mm. to actually sit and to listen and to observe um and so these would be the two ways i'd, I'd suggest uh, setting that up and thank you for engaging also by the way 
Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And you're right, like those kinds of informal groups happen all the time. Um, you know, mm. there's informal five-a-side soccer teams formed inside different offices of companies. Um, there's usually a lot of syndicate that goes on. That's technically a support group of some kind. There's you yeah. know, people who decide go off to they go off meet up on a Saturday morning and go for a cycle or a run or a hike or something on like there's all there's people who have different interests that form these informal groups all the time. They do just tend to find each other. But you're right, maybe it's not the place of the organization to set up a formal employee resource group, um, but actually just, as you say, exactly allow that space to, to exist for people to find each other and um, and be supported by the company as and when they need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My last question for you before we finish up, as we are just around that time, and Simon, our wonderful production manager, is going to cut me off, which is... Um, uh, something that we ask all of our guests as a very, very last question, which is, um, can you leave our audience with one piece of advice? Um, it can be on the topic itself or it can be something that you've been told that really is, you can take it to heart in your career or whatever, whatever you feel. Yeah, I wanted to talk about horizons and I wanted to talk about how we how we bring horizons into our into our lives, into our workplaces, into our experiences, because this is something in my book, Fetch Your Mother's Heart. I'm consistently equating the horizon with my masculinity and something that I'll never quite capture, but I will never stop walking towards anyway. (laughs) Now, through the course of our conversation, I've been thinking how I can ground that in something uh, for for the listeners. And I would suggest this exercise. Talk to your plants. Your plants know (laughs) something about horizons. They eat it. They're They're the thing that reaches it. And in, in, in the social talent uh, content in the course that you guys might uh, embark on in that journey, I, I suggest if you're uh, struggling with pronouns and struggling with unfamiliar language to try and use it on your plants, you know, um, and it just kind of gets it under wraps and it kind of like uh, you practice your tongue, you get your head around it without having to harm anybody in that process. Um, but there's also something about that representation of the plant as a fragment of future because we plant things. Um, and they, they don't exist and then they appear and they just suddenly fill empty space and they are these fragments of future um, and they are our connection to the horizon. Um, so, and, and yeah, my plants give me the best advice. Uh, so I'm going to leave on that note. <laughs> Lisa, that is beautiful. I actually genuinely have, like, have a glazed look on my eyes because I actually have a tear in each eye um, because that is the most beautiful advice. I genuinely, I do actually, like, anybody in social science can tell you this. I always say talk to plants because they don't talk back, but at least they listen. And my God, they talk back by by blooming. They genuinely will work better. They will, they will grow better because you talk to them every day. But um, no, it's it's bringing in a horizon and we will always be reaching towards something else, whether it's with regards to our gender identities or innovation, if we're again, bring it back to a workplace topic or just genuinely our potential. You know, it's always there. It's always it's never quite within reach, but at least it's something that we can stretch yeah. to. I love that idea. To speak of potential, the plant, you pour love into it, water, whatever it needs, it's food, whatever you keep going. Sometimes it doesn't bloom. Eventually it will bloom. Is that not potential? Pour love into these people around you. Like give love. I know that's not something we talk of enough in workplaces, but you pour your love, your care, your generosity in these things and they will bloom and you will also benefit from that, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, here, here. Thank you so much. That is a beautiful ending. Yeah, you really are a poet. Thank you. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely <laughs> lovely. Um, Lisa, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, it's certainly been an interesting one in the comments as well. Thank you so much for everybody who's left comments in uh, both on LinkedIn and on YouTube as well. Um, interesting debates going on here. But um, as I said, this is a it's an interesting place where we all can learn and there's nothing nothing binary about it, is there? No right mm. or wrong. Um, but uh, no, it's certainly been extreme, extremely helpful and tremendously insightful so lisa thank you so much again for for joining us um and next week we are bringing back the main man himself who will be johnny campbell um johnny is joining us um again next week who is going to be welcoming our latest guest who is kevin green um kevin green as you may remember uh, in his past careers and been the head of the Recru recruitment and employment confederation in the uk and is now the chief people officer at first bus um, and himself and Johnny are going to be talking about lots of new things with regards to talent disruptions etc and talent pipelines and so please join us Wednesday the 3rd of August um, at 4 15 p.m which is about 11 15 p.m I think I believe on the east coast of the U.S etc so please join us on Johnny's LinkedIn or YouTube or of course follow us on the podcast afterwards fascinating conversation thank you so much everybody for joining us and we'll see you another week bye